From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Brian Walsh, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, March 25th. Today, I'm joined by Impact Alpha editor and CEO David Bank to dig into the SEC's new proposed rules on corporate climate disclosure and hear about next week's Agent of Impact call. Hi, David. Hey, Brian. Um, I'm going to also share a bit of my conversation with Alicia Seiger, who runs the Sustainable Finance Initiative at Stanford and who co-authored a provocative guest post this week on how to really move corporations on climate. Look forward to hearing that conversation. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. The move to electrify everything is in full swing. Case in point, the company Span raised $90 million in their plans to upgrade the lowly circuit breaker boxes found in most homes. Circuit breaker boxes are becoming the control panels to manage the increasing electrification of homes. Think vehicle charging, heat pumps, solar panels, and more as everything goes electric. Global electricity consumption is set to triple in the next 20 years, much of it digitized, distributed, and decarbonized. In India, commercial capital is pouring into impact-focused startups, who saw about $7 billion in equity financing last year, nearly two and a half times the 2020 total. As a sector, fintech attracted the most amount of VC capital in India, at nearly $2 billion, But climate tech is becoming the most popular impact sector in terms of number of deals. 2021 saw 79 climate tech deals in India, raising at least a combined $590 million. Atlanta-based fund manager Steel Skies Ventures raised $47 million for a total of $72 million in assets under management. This makes Steel Sky Ventures one of the largest VC funds focused on women's health care. Some of the companies in their portfolio include Concerto Care, which helps seniors age in place, Kabaya Care, a home-based maternal health service, and Zipline, which delivers blood and essential medicines to rural communities by drone. Development Finance Institutions, or DFIs, as the quasi-governmental investors are known, are more often catalyzed than catalytic, according to a new report from the Canadian nonprofit Convergence. DFIs insist on standard commercial terms in three-quarters of the blended finance deals in which they participate, and only accept concessions in 25% of the deals, the types of concessions that are designed to so-called crowd-in commercial investors. As Convergence's Aisha Berry told Impact Alpha, quote, there's definitely scope to take on more risk. And finally, the company Hala Systems, which has helped reduce civilian casualties in Syria, is working around the clock to bring the civilian intelligence system to Ukraine. A network of civilian spotters works with AI software and a mobile app to warn of potential airstrikes, giving residents in conflict zones a crucial 7 to 10 minutes to take cover. A series of bridge loans from Open Road Alliance, which provides funding to social enterprises, helped keep Halal Systems afloat as it waited for other finance to come in. Open Road Alliance's Carolyn Bresson will be a guest on next week's Agent of Impact call, where guests will discuss how impact investors assess and mitigate risks in a world in conflict. Now it's time for our featured conversation. So David, this week the SEC released its long-expected rules on climate disclosure. What was in these proposed rules? Well, it's 500 pages, and I can't say I've read them all, Um, but the initial reaction from climate advocates, what we spoke to, was better than expected. 
Um, the rules provide guidelines for climate disclosures. They cover the 6,000 or so publicly listed U.S. companies on things like climate scenarios, transition plans, carbon offsets, internal carbon pricing. Our colleague Amy Cortese caught up with Christina Wyatt from the carbon accounting firm Persephone. One of the things that is really remarkable about this release is that it covers the full document, the full 10K, including the narrative part and the financial part, and it takes climate, climate risk, and looks at how it's integrated throughout the company, looks at how it integrates with the financial statements, looks at how management and the board are addressing climate risks and building strategies to address those climate risks. So climate, all of a sudden, greenhouse gas emissions have become a key input into financial decision making. And that's groundbreaking. And it's hugely important. Well, that sounds very promising, David. Yes, but I guess. Um, I had the chance also to sit down with Alicia Seiger from Stanford, who was a bit of a contrarian on the, on the rules. Let's listen in. Now, when we were, you know, sort of everybody was kind of handicapping where the rules were going to go in, in advance. And the one of the key issues was so-called scope three, which has kind of become um, one of these, you know, wonky things that everybody is sort of quickly had to get up to, to speed on. And there was sort of expectation that they might duck out on scope three disclosure. But then, in fact, they included it. Um, and maybe you could just help us um, uh, understand what scope three is and then and then how it how it played out. Sure. I mean, it's funny you you tee the question that way, because in fact, we had written a draft of this piece over the weekend, assuming that scope three wasn't going to be included. And the, the gist was, don't worry, it's OK. <laughs> and uh, and then here we are. Um, you know, I will say just back to, you know, some of the good goodies that are in there, you know, I also wasn't necessarily expecting the specificity around physical risks, around offsets, around assurance, um, the inclusion of transition plans and scenarios. I mean, all this stuff is really comprehensive, you know, in giving in investors the information they need to make better decisions around capital allocation by un better understanding climate risk. And, and having the truth and advertising, frankly, features of, you know, these voluntary pledges that are rampant, having giving investors an, an, an insight into what's really going on in these companies. And so, you know, so scope three was was the piece that that I didn't expect to see in there in a mandatory fashion. And, and there it was, which, you know, again, this is a proposed rule. So so we'll see where it ends up. But the promise of scope three is has been around um, risk management. Um, and engagement, you know, risk management is the kind of language that you you know get spoken at the SEC and and in terms of disclosure rules, and in that case, and and we can get into how and why, but I think scope three is is problematic as a risk management tool. As an engagement tool, it has been successful, and we can come back to that. Okay, well, let's just let's just set a little bit of a ground groundwork here. Scope three are the emissions that are both upstream and downstream of a, of a particular company. So you might have an oil company that uh, uh, sells oil, but it's not the one that burns the oil. That's you and me and our automobiles. And so our auto emissions are their scope three. Is that essentially correct? That's right. So, you know, you'll hear a lot of talk of scope three or 80% of, you know, most companies' emissions. And that is because, I mean, some of that, good bit of that is upstream, but in the case of, a, of an oil and gas company, that's downstream. And that is, 
you know, households, the car you drive, the, the planes you get on and so forth. And what gets challenging with that is, of course, how many times those downstream emissions are counted because there are a lot of suppliers, if you will, or companies upstream that are enabling the fossil fuel consumption of households um, and, and our activities get counted multiple times in their scope three accounts. Now, as I said, Scope 3 became something of a sort of litmus test, and everybody's supposed to, uh, who wants climate action is supposed to be um, in favor of, you know, rigorous Scope 3 disclosure. You're something of a contrarian on that and have, have argued that maybe it hasn't played out the way, you know, folks had, had expected. Yeah, it's not a comfortable place for me to be, I have to say. I, I, I'm, you know, obviously care very deeply about achieving uh, our temperature targets and and um, having meaningful climate action. Uh, and, and I have a lot of empathy for the advocacy community that has really rallied around the inclusion of Scope 3. I have a lot of sympathy for investors who, you know, particularly asset owners who, are, who own the market, who say, you know, we, we need this information to manage our risk. Uh, I get that. And, and that is why I think Scope 3 has been an effective tool in the voluntary regime um, where you keep the lawyers out of it and you get pretty good information that's directionally accurate and you, and you shift the balance of capital. Um, I, I think that's, that's a really important piece of this. But the contrarian piece sort of appeals to you know, the side of me that just really um, wants, to, wants the practical and pragmatic real world um, solutions that are grounded, you know, in, in knowledge and insight. And I think when you take a really close look, as my colleagues and I have done, at, at what Scope 3 has and hasn't accomplished and how it will work in the, in the world past the leaders, you know, who are trying to do everything right. But when you start to scale this at the global level and you in, engage actors who have no interest in good outcomes, you see all the ways these things can be gamed. And so that's kind of what we're talking about in this more contrarian view um, of, of the possibilities of Scope 3. You mentioned how it can be gamed. I imagine in, in, in your book, Settling Climate Accounts, in, in critiquing it, you also offer a little bit of a, of a recipe book for, for gaming it. There's all, there's all kinds of ways to get around <laughs> these things, right? Yeah. I don't think anyone needs us to explain the game. But I mean, you know, just in a case in point, you know, we're seeing a lot, and I'm sure you covered this, of movement of um, oil and gas assets from public companies into private markets because it you know it looks good on scope three ledger right suddenly there's a big drop in your scope three emissions but that's just because those assets have been moved into the shadows of of carbon accounting where there isn't pressure on disclosure uh, where there's you know some occasional greenwashing but otherwise those emissions look like they go away um, and in fact are are still. Uh, very much alive in the atmosphere. And so the argument is that what you really want is something like a transcendent accounting where things are counted. Transcendent, every, yeah, yeah. Everything is counted, yeah. but only once. Right. And everything, in, you know, meaning country ledgers, non-state actors, and then the natural uh, carbon sinks and stocks, which, which you know, is a whole nother conversation, but, but has not been part of the, you know, scope three carbon accounting ledgers. Uh, so, yes, it would be nice if we had this transcendent accountant and such an activity lies beyond even the wildest dreams of Scope 3 and even the promises of Scope 3. But I think where we identify pieces of climate action, of the climate action story that, that Scope 3 held in, as promises, um, we also want to offer solutions, right? And so that's where I think, um, I hope there's real value in this in this piece. And so that is to say, you know, as a risk management tool, there are other ways to manage risk and, and scope three 
um, creates an illusion of risk management through emissions alignment as opposed to um, to the the granular and strategic work of of risk management. Engagement, as I said, I think actually Scope Three, the promise of engagement on Scope Three has has been realized, and there has been you know meaningful action that has that has resulted from an investor being able to engage with a company on scope three from companies being able to engage their supply chain and trying to manage scope three. But these promises of, of carbon markets and this total carbon accounting, which we just touched on are, are ones that, that scope three has, has yet to realize. And, and it's hard to see how that's going to come to be. And I, and, and on the carbon market side, you know, I think this is where there's, you know what? What Scope Three has done is created these enormous ledgers for companies to then um, have an obligation to reduce through low-cost, uh, unimaginative offsets. And I think we're seeing, uh, unfortunately, uh, a, 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 a rush to those um, that that I think most would agree is problematic. And so, what we really need are the mechanisms to create incentives for companies to invest in. Um, decision-making tools and technologies and uh, and and reductions that that frankly are more expensive than than what you're going to get in a low-cost offset you know bulk purchase and so that's the kind of hard work that we need to see and I think actually an example of this that's exciting is is the work that Stripe is doing in their carbon removal in that not just that they're you know finding ways innovative ways for a payment company to buy carbon removals but because they're not attaching it to Scope three they're they're just building a market. Um, and that kind of that kind of innovation, I think, is an interesting example of solutions that are purpose built um, to drive the impacts that we need, rather than you know, quick shortcuts to emissions alignment. Well, thank you, Alicia Seiger um, from Stanford for helping us sort out some of the complexities. I'm sure there's much more to come as the SEC works it through. And I hope your voice will be, will be loud and clear in, in all of that. And so um, we'll have you back to, to help help us understand it. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And David, as we digest the proposed SEC rules, it was hard this week to take our eyes away from the ongoing destruction happening in Ukraine. I understand that next week's Agent of Impact call is going to be focused on digging into the impact investing response uh, to Ukraine. Well, yeah, we're taking up political risk more broadly, um, which obviously has been brought to the fore by the crisis, both in Ukraine, but also obviously in Russia. Um, the insight is that many investors flee from what's called political risk or country risk. But many times those are the places where social and environmental progress are needed most. So how can investors move toward but mitigate those risks? So can you give me an example? Well, you had one in the headlines earlier. We'll have Carolyn Bresson from Open Road Alliance, which makes bridge loans to see social enterprises across rough patches. Um, war, of course, is the ultimate rough patch, and they don't actually loan against that. But they did help Hala Systems, which you mentioned, stay afloat while waiting for funding to come through. And that is letting Hala deploy its air raid warning systems now in Ukraine. Uh, we'll also have Harlan Mandel of the Media Development Investment Fund, which specifically goes into countries where press freedom is under threat. They invest in trusted independent news sources, which obviously are even more valuable in such places now. Um, Harlan says if there's no political risk involved, MDIF is not even interested. 
And we'll have some special guests who've been working in both Ukraine and Russia. I think it's going to be a fascinating discussion. So this uh, Agency of Impact call, again, it's going to be next Tuesday, March 29th. And folks can sign up through the brief or on impactalpha.com. That's right. And we're looking forward to Agents of Impact sharing what they're seeing or doing, not only in Ukraine and Russia, but as I say, in other conflict zones and hotspots of which there are many. All right. Well, I look forward to that call. In the meantime, that's going to do it for your Impact Briefing for this week. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Brian. And thank you all for listening. Thanks, as always, to our producer extraordinaire, Isaac Silk. Uh, Thanks to our Impact Alpha subscribers. And if you aren't one yourself, be sure to subscribe to receive the daily email brief and access to all Impact Alpha content. Podcast listeners get $100 off their first year subscription. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use the code briefing100. I'm Brian Walsh, head of sustainability for the capital markets firm TPICAP. Until next time, take good care.